You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Serene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are being punished justly, but we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done no wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I will tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he'd said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who were gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things.
Well, it's great to be with you again, City on a Hill. I'm with you virtually, but also, of course, we're together in the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, so we have a deep unity, which even manages to cross the barriers of physical distance. This morning, I'm preaching on the theme of living under the cross. And it would be really helpful if you found the sermon outline. It's a, you'll see the reason when you look at it. Uh, you'll find it by the QR code or you can go into uh, comments and click the link there. Uh, I'm preaching on the cross. I'm not preaching on one particular passage of the Bible. I'm going to go to lots of different passages. So that's why having the, uh, the sermon outline in front of you would be a great help. So, living under the cross. The cross is a well-known sign of Christianity. For some people, it's a personal decoration around a chain on your neck. Or we might see it on a church building and think, oh yes, that's a church. The cross is, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ. The sign of Christianity is not a baby, though Jesus was born a baby, uh, nor is the sign of Christianity the risen Christ when he rose from the dead. But it is a cross, and that's why we had the reading from Luke this morning to remind you of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Now, I should say there's nothing special about the shape of a cross, but in the Bible, the words the cross of Christ is code for the death of Christ. So also the phrase the blood of Christ is Bible code for the death of Christ. So when you hear cross of Christ, think death of Christ. When you read blood of Christ, think of the death of Christ and his blood offered in sacrifice to God. So why this focus today on the death of Christ on the cross? The simple answer is that Christ is the greatest and his death is the greatest gift he gives us. Christ's death is the greatest gift in the world, the greatest sacrifice, the most productive suffering, the supreme love, the greatest wisdom, the most immense power, the most wonderful glory. The cross of Christ is the greatest message, the greatest revelation of God. It has the greatest power to transform us and our world. It's the greatest reconciliation, the greatest sign, the greatest healing, the greatest riches, the greatest wisdom, the greatest challenge, the greatest joy, and the greatest hope for ourselves and for our world. Vaclav Havel, a former president of Czechoslovakia, said that I believe with the loss of God humans lost a kind of absolute and universal system of coordinates to which they could always relate everything, chiefly themselves. And this loss of a big vision, this loss of big values, this loss of a big system of understanding the world and relating to the world, we can only recover through the cross of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross. This is because God brought and brings order and hopeful shape to our disordered world by the cross of Christ, as we will see this morning. Now, uh, most of us have two ears, and I want you to listen with two ears this morning. I want you to listen with one ear for yourself, and I want you to listen with the other ear for somebody else. Because when we hear sermons, God is not just feeding us as individuals, he's also giving us food to give to others. 
And so often uh, somebody asks me a question and I think, I heard a sermon about that recently. Now, what did the preacher say? Sometimes I think, oh, I preached a sermon about that recently. What did I say? So please listen attentively for yourself and so you can pass on what you learn to somebody else. Today, as I said, we're doing the theme of the cross, so we'll cover lots of different ideas, some old, some new, some you know about, some you need to learn and do. And I won't cover every Bible verse in the outline. Uh, that's really so you can follow them up later as uh, the, the outline will be on the website. So the cross of Christ. Firstly, the cross is about God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How you relate to God and how knowing God transforms you. From Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the household of God, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. God seems a long way away. Guess who moved? We often feel that God is a long way off. That's sometimes because he is. But Jesus bridges the gap. Jesus closed the gap between God and ourselves through his blood shed on the cross. He was the sacrifice. His was the death that we should have died. You see, it's not just that God forgives us. He says from the other end of the universe, I forgive you. But that he draws us into his own presence through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you feel far from God? Do you feel alone and lonely in a vast universe? Don't trust your feelings. Trust the promise of God. Trust Jesus. Trust the cross of Christ. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. But not only are we enabled to enter God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by the cross of Christ, we have forgiveness from God. Indeed, it would be awful to come into God's presence without being forgiven, wouldn't it? Colossians 1, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, we are refugees fleeing darkness. We need to escape danger, but God rescues us and brings us to a new homeland, to the freedom of forgiveness in his son. We're fleeing an oppressive regime, the domain of darkness, but God has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. But also through the cross of Christ, we have peace with God. Romans 5, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Do you know the most dangerous enmity, the most dangerous conflict, is the one of which you are unaware, blissfully ignorant? There may be enmity and conflict, which you don't know about. But you're, because of it, you're about to lose your marriage or your job or your friends. Most people think they can live in neutral as far as God is concerned. They can forget about him, ignore him, neglect him. But if God is not our friend, he is our enemy. If we are not at peace with God, we're in great danger. But through the cross, through the shed blood of Jesus, we are at peace with God. We have peace with God. For Jesus is our peace with God. Am I saying that we have to love God enough to build a relationship with him? Not at all. 
We read in 1 John, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friend, I hope you are convinced that you have free access to God. You've been brought into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. I hope you have full assurance that you are at peace with God, that your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That is why he died, that you might have full assurance and trust in him and trust in your relationship with God. Sometimes people think, look, if only I'd lived in the first century, I could be more confident. But, you know, we're 2,000 years away. How can, how can we have rock-solid confidence? Well, the answer is we just believe what God has promised, what God has said in the Bible. We have peace with God. That's what it says. Therefore, we have peace with God. Our sins are forgiven. That's what it says. Our sins are forgiven. If we depend on our attitude to God, our love for God, well, our love is too feeble, too fickle, too frail to build and maintain our relationship with God. But he first loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to offer a perfect sacrifice as our substitute, to die in our place, to suffer instead of us, to cover our sins and our sinfulness. For God loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that those who believe in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Dear brother or sister, you don't just need a band-aid, you need a blood transfusion. The life-giving blood of Jesus coursing through arteries and veins. That is, only Jesus can give you eternal life. And he does throw through his death. His death is your life. But also through the cross of Christ, we have adoption as God's children. Galatians 4, God sent his son to redeem us so that we might become his children. Without God, without his son setting us free, paying the price for us, we would be orphans for eternity. We might have wonderful parents. We might have had horrid parents. We might have had no parents. But without being adopted by God into his family, we'll have no eternal home. Well, my parents had three boys. I was the youngest. And when they adopted my sister, they very wisely said to her, we had to take what we got with the boys, but we chose you. What a wonderful thing to say. She knew she was chosen to be part of our family. But dear friends, we can know that eternal security, that eternal belonging. We can know that we belong to God's eternal family. We can know him as our loving, gracious, patient, compassionate, thoughtful, attentive father and carer. Live under the cross of Christ. Live under his care and protection for eternity. Dear fellow believer, know what God has done for you in Christ and make the most of it. Live under the cross, the only place of safety. And if you're an inquirer just thinking about Christianity, can I encourage you to think more and more about Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. That is the key to Christianity. Christianity is Christ. And the heart of Christ's work for you was his work on the cross. If you understand the cross of Jesus, you'll know the immensity of God's love, the immensity of his grace, the immensity of his compassion, the immensity of his kindness, the immensity of his patience, the wonder of his forgiveness and acceptance, the wonder of living at peace with God. We sing the praise of him who died, 
of him who died upon the cross. Let sinners hope, let men deride, for this we count the world but lost. Inscribed upon the cross we see in shining letters, God is love. He bears our sins upon the tree. He brings us mercy from above. The cross, it takes our guilt away. It holds the fainting spirit up. It cheers with hope the gloomy day and sweetens every bitter cup. It makes the coward spirit brave and nerves the feeble arm for fight. It takes the terror from the grave and gilds the bed of death with light. The balm of life, the cure of woe, the measure and the pledge of love, the sinner's refuge here below, the angel's theme in heaven above. Live under the cross of Christ. But the cross is also about how you live. We live in a time of international insecurity and local insecurity. We thought we controlled our world. We're finding out that we don't. The present is out of control. The future is unimaginable. But living under the cross helps us face the future. Hear these words from Paul in Romans 5. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath to come? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Our anxiety levels are through the roof. And one of the best ways to live is to be what is called a non-anxious presence for our children, for our friends, for our family. What a great gift we can give people now. What a great contribution we can make to our world, brothers and sisters. For we can trust God for the future because of the death of Christ. We can trust God for the future because of the cross of Christ. I just love those words of Moses in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 33. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. But how much more wonderful is our confidence we were reconciled by the death of his son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Dear fellow believers, I urge you, soak yourself in God's love in Christ. Luxuriate in God's love in Christ's cross. Delight in God's love in Christ's death. But Christ's death is so powerful, it not only saves us from God's judgment and wrath, it also enables us to die to sin. We'll see this in Romans chapter 6. Our sins are so powerful, so persuasive, so habitual, so deceptive, so constant, that we cannot just by our own power put them to death. But hear this challenge from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do not let sin reign in your bodies. Don't present your bodies as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Sin is powerful. Sin reminds us by its power that we are not in control. Sin is not always what we do. Sin does us. Sin rules us. And the only powerful inoculation against sin administered every time we are tempted is the power of Christ's death. Do you know that power in your life? Are you putting sins to death 
whenever they rise up to control you? Do you know what your habitual sins are? Are you making progress in putting those sins to death? It's a bit like gardening, those pesky weeds. You think you've got rid of them and the next generation jumps up perky and pesky. Kill the weeds in your life with the blood of Christ. Brother, sister, make the most of the cross of Christ and of the power of that cross, that death. Put your sins to death by the power of the blood of the cross of Jesus. Or again, have you yet learned to rejoice in your weaknesses? We, we love discovering our strengths and abilities. They're wonderful gifts of God. But have you yet learned to delight in your weaknesses? We read in 2 Corinthians that when Paul was in trouble, he asked God to weigh, take away his particular thorn in the flesh. But Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul writes, I'll delight in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How remarkable. Christ was weak and vulnerable on the cross. Christ saved us by the weakness and vulnerability of his death on the cross. Christ can work through weak and vulnerable people. Christ can work in the midst of our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. For when we are weak in ourselves, we can be strong in Christ. His strength is perfected in our weakness. His strength is perfectly felt in our weakness. His strength is perfectly revealed in our weakness. Dear fellow believer, do learn that it's okay to be weak, okay to be vulnerable, and wonderfully amazing to find Christ's strength and power in our weakness and our weaknesses. I will boast, I'll delight in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Next, may I ask you, is your life cross-shaped? Do you take up your cross daily to follow Christ? Jesus says in Luke 9, If any would follow me, let them take up their cross daily and follow me. The crosses you need to carry, the self-denials you need to exercise, the pains you need to pick up, are not to earn your salvation or God's approval. Jesus did that for you on the cross. But the crosses you need to carry, the self-denial you need to exercise, the pain we need to pick up, are not the natural inescapable frustrations of your life. Everyone has to cope with those. They are a challenge, but not the challenge that puts, Jesus puts before you in these words. If anyone follow me, let them take up their cross daily and follow me. No, the cross you need to pick up every day is the cross of living as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It will include denying yourselves some pleasures, not because they're wrong in themselves, but because following Jesus is more important. It means you won't get everything you want. It means you'll give money away to support your church, global gospel ministry, until it hurts you. It means you won't depend on the approval of others, their likes, but cope with their dislikes, unfriends, if this is what you need to follow Christ. It means you'll exercise daily self-denial in daily life with food, drink, money, sex, happiness, pleasure, ambition, security, self-indulgence, all for the sake of following Jesus. Today, at this very moment, somewhere in the world, there is a young girl facing death for following Jesus. She may be in Africa, she may be in Asia, 
she may be in Afghanistan. She is taking up her cross today to follow Jesus. She's dying for him. And this last century saw the greatest number of Christian martyrs in the last 2,000 years. You see, Christ is a free gift of God, but receiving that free gift may cost you everything, as in the case of this young girl. You can't earn God's free gift, but you may have to pay the price for receiving it. You do have to take up your cross daily to follow Jesus. There used to be a saying, no cross, no crown. The saying meant, if we don't suffer for Christ in this life, we won't be rewarded in the life to come. Now, I love the music of J.S. Bach, and uh, he was a fine Christian man. And one of his motto, mottos was, Christ rewards, Christ crowns the cross-bearer. That is, those who take up their cross daily to follow Christ are those whom Christ will reward. And I, th I think that's wonderful because I think of that young girl even now dying for Jesus' sake. What a, what a wonderful reward she will have from God. What a great sacrifice she's made and how right that God will honour her. No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine a whole can he have followed far, who has no wounds, no scar. Take up your cross daily to follow Christ. But also the cross helps us cope with injustice. Do you know that one day you'll suffer injustice? One day you'll discover that life is not fair if you haven't discovered that already. It may be at work, it may be in church, it may be in your family, it will certainly be in society. We live in a world and a nation wrecked with injustice. And do you know that we won't find perfect justice in this life? That human justice is sometimes unfair, often expensive, and sometimes unattainable because only God knows the truth of what we do and only God knows the secret of our hearts. God is the only perfect and powerful judge. So what did Jesus do when he faced the massive injustice under the Roman Empire and under the false accusations and hatred of his own people? He could have struck them all dead. Instead, we read the beautiful words in 1 Peter, words which I often use in helping people who are suffering injustice and words which have helped me in a similar situation. Here they are. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When facing his degrading death, Jesus knew what to do. Trust God, his heavenly Father, and entrust himself to him who judges justly. Here's the prayer to pray. O oh God, this injustice is wrong, and it hurts, but I trust myself to you, for you are the just and perfect judge. Of course, it may be right and good for you to fight for your rights in some circumstances, but you'll do so with less stress and more hope if your stronger trust and greater expectations are in God. May my every cross be sanctified, every loss be gain, every denial a spiritual advantage, every dark night a light of the Holy Spirit, every night a trial of trial a song. Live under the cross of Christ. Next, uh, 
you and God's people, how, how you relate to other believers? Well, it's just three years to the next Olympics, and I, I thought I might try to represent Australia in that high diving where you jump off the board, touch your toes, do three pirouettes, rise two meters in the air, and then land gracefully without a splash in the pool, you hope. Uh, after all, they say that if you want something enough, you can get it. So I'm going to go for it. Will you join me? I thought we might form a coordinated team of 100 people doing the, this together, a kind of synchronized diving from the high board. Well, let me tell you, if we're going to do this, dear friends, what we need to do. First of all, we need to unlearn bad diving habits in order to learn good diving habits. And then we'd need to learn those good diving habits so well, so constantly that they would become automatic. And then we'd need to learn the immense self-discipline of coordination. We'd need to learn how to synchronize, to work together, to serve each other, to notice each other, and so dive together. 100 of us, I think we could make quite a splash at those Olympics in Paris. What a great moment it would be if we won gold for Australia. So in learning to do something well, we have to unlearn bad habits. What are the bad habits we need to unlearn in order to belong to a church, to relate well to other believers? They are simply the bad habits that our society has taught us and trained us in. Self-centeredness, consumerism, only relating to people we like, depending on the approval of others, avoiding conflict, holding grudges, and shallow commitment. They're all the bad habits we've learnt from our society. They're not good for our society, and they're not good for our churches. You see, in high diving, as in anything, you need to unlearn bad habits in order to learn good habits. You have to destruct before you can construct. And how we relate to others in a church relates directly to the cross of Christ, because Christ died to make us one, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. So here are the good habits. We should love each other with self-sacrificial love because Christ loved us with self-sacrificial love. We should serve others because Christ served us and gave his life as a ransom for our sin. We should please others rather than ourselves because Christ did not please himself. We should welcome others because Christ has welcomed us. We should forgive others, because Christ has forgiven us. We should absorb evil rather than seeking revenge, because Christ absorbed evil and did not call for revenge. We should be humble, because Christ humbled himself, even to death on a cross. We should love others with self-sacrificial love, serve others, please others, welcome others, forgive others, absorb evil, and be humble. People sometimes say to me, I'm looking for a loving church. I say, Here's a great church to go to. There's some very unpleasant people there. And if you go to that church, you can love them and it'll become a loving church. Consumerism, I think, is the great enemy of church life today, where we come to church because of what we want to get, not because we want to praise God and love and serve our brothers and sisters. You need your church, and your church needs you. The Christian life was not designed to be lived by individuals. 
It was designed by God to be lived in community. And churches need to be communities under the cross of Christ, full of service and humility and forgiveness and welcome and love, understanding and compassion. Following Christ, being shaped and transformed and formed by Christ's sufferings, his humility, his self-sacrifice, is the only effective inoculation against self-centeredness, consumerism, only relating to people we like, depending on the approval of others, avoiding conflict, holding grudges, and shallow commitment. Do you know the word cruciform? It means cross-shaped. That's how we should live as disciples of Christ and as churches. Dear members of City on a Hill, live under the cross. The cross is also our message to God's world, what God wants us to tell other people. Jesus said, summarized his uh, life and ministry in these words, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Paul wrote, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that extraordinary? You think, well, I want to show you that God is really powerful. <laughs> what would we imagine? Creating the universe. No, the greatest demonstration of God's power was the death of Jesus. Or imagine saying, I want to show you the wisdom of God. Let's look at uh, the delicacy of this flower or the intricacy of the, the environment around us or the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the beauty of the stars around us. There's the wisdom of God. No, the greatest sign of God's wisdom, the greatest proof of God's wisdom is the cross of Jesus Christ. That was the most powerful and the wisest thing God ever did. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Or again from Paul in 1 Corinthians, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Our message to the world is not a vague message about a vague God. It is not a message of self-improvement. It is not a middle-class prosperity and happiness gospel. It's not a let's escape into a Christian huddle gospel. It's not let's follow a Christian celebrity gospel. It's not let's work on self-improvement and personal success gospel. It's not let's join with people who we like and are just like us gospel. It's not a sacrifice free message. It's a message about God. It's a message about Christ and a message about the cross of Christ. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. We preach Christ crucified, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. living under the cross. Finally, what God will do with the world, the universe. We know more than ever that this is a very small and vulnerable planet. We live in a global village in which what any, what any nation does affects all other nations. We face global problems. They're not isolated problems, they're global problems. And more than ever, we know that the whole human race sinks or swims together. 
And the problems we face are massive. The unequal distribution of resources. For us in the West, diet means not eating too much. For most people in the world, diet means trying to get enough nutrition each day to stay alive. We're facing shortages of food and water. Millions of refugees. Corruption, tyranny and political oppression. And a future which seems to be either a global warming or a nuclear winter. And that's just the problems we cause for ourselves. What about Satan and the evil powers? Satan, the father of lies, Jesus tells us. His job is producing lies to confuse and deceive people. In Revelation, we have an extraordinary picture of Satan oppressing the church and the world by false religion and persecution. But our enemies are also the cultural sins which are invisible to us because they are the way we live. They are our deepest assumptions. They're almost impossible to see because they're the way we're brought up. And there's the great enemy, death, which ends all our hopes and dreams and which we in the West ignore as much as possible, which makes death even more shocking and us more fearful. The words of Vaclav Havel again. I believe that with the loss of God, humans have lost a kind of absolute and universal system of coordinates to which they could relate everything chiefly themselves. What will happen to our world? Our only hope is through what God has done in the cross of Christ the death of Christ on the cross. God brought and is bringing order and hopeful shape to our disordered world by the cross of Christ. Listen to these words from Paul in Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or these words from Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Or from Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile all things to himself, things in earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a powerful death to bring order and beauty to our disordered and failing world and universe, a death and a resurrection of cosmic significance. So friends, what should we do about our world? Two things. Firstly, take responsibility for it and do the best we can. That's the 
instruction given us in Genesis chapter 1. Don't go and hide in a religious huddle and think we just let the world collapse around us. No, as humans, we have the responsibility to do the best we can. But also, secondly, trust God and his work of cosmic reconciliation. Trust that Christ made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Live under the cross of Christ. A Christian who lived in the third century wrote these words. Death has been brought low, the sin of our first parent destroyed, hell plundered, resurrection bestowed, the road back to blessedness made smooth, the gates of paradise opened, and we are made children and heirs of God. By the cross, all things have been set right. It's a raising up for those who lie fallen, a support for those who stand, a guide for the wandering, an averter of all evils, a cause of all good things, a destruction of sin, a plant of resurrection, and a tree of eternal life. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us. Let's pray together. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. O gracious God, what amazing grace, what amazing love we find in the death of your Son, Jesus, for us on the cross. May your cross shape us in our relationship with you, in the way we live our lives, in our membership of our church, in our message to the world, and in our hope for the universe. Please do this wonderful miracle in us and among us, and through us we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.